This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Good evening, all you wonderful listeners out there. This is episode 189 of the Laravel News Podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. My name is Jake Bennett, and as always with me is my wonderful co-host, your wonderful co-host, Mr. Michael Dorinda. How's it going, Michael? Very good. Here we are on the 10th of April, wrapping up an Easter we long are. weekend for us. You don't you don't get a long mm-hmm. weekend. Now, now, tell me this. Well, the kids did. The kids got a long weekend. We did Good kids Friday, get a long weekend. and then we had... Yeah, and then so we had Good Friday off, and then we had Easter on Sunday, but I did not have Monday off, although the, the children did. Right, so. okay. Yeah, so we get bank holidays, public holidays, Friday, Monday. Mm. And then the other thing that I learned or relearned, so I may have already known this, you you Americans don't do chocolate eggs. Is that a thing? Uh, Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by is that a thing. Like, people do get chocolate eggs on Easter sometimes. So, like, there's Cadbury eggs. Yeah. Is this, do you have yeah. Cadbury eggs? Yeah, right. So like, the chocolate with, like, the yolk in the middle sort of deal. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done those for a long time. But, I mean, some people probably do. So, so. you so you get the Cadbury cream eggs, but you don't get, like, little sure. little solid, like, chocolate Solid Gadbury chocolate. Oh, sometimes. Sometimes, no, but sometimes. it's not. It's sometimes not really a common thing though in in the US, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I feel like jelly beans are more common. Like that was the. I mean, think I think last year, I had I heard a statistic. This was like a trivia question. They said, "Do you know what the number one Easter candy was last year in the US?" It was like jelly beans. So, yeah, maybe it's not as popular here. But I mean, so like this year, for example, we probably did have some chocolate eggs, just the little ones. But it's not like a hmm. huge deal. But I mean, it's not super rare either. I wouldn't say. Why? What did you hear? What was the big rumor you heard? Well, this was the thing that I just I, it came up on Twitter somewhere that it's okay, not okay. It's not really a common thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe jelly it's just jelly beans and marshmallow peeps. Reese's peanut butter That's eggs correct. claimed the top spot yep. in thirty or fifty U.S. states. This was for sure. Yeah, this this was published on the ninth of April. Those would so. definitely be. Yeah, those would definitely be top ones. Here we go. Yeah, America's I'm a, I'm favorite a Easter egg. candies. Number one, Reese's peanut butter eggs. Number two, Kinder chocolate mm-hmm. candy egg. Oh, yeah. uh, number three, Starburst Easter jelly beans. Number four, Lint hollow those milk are chocolate bunny. Amazing. And then number five, yeah, the, Starburst the jelly beans Cadbury stuff. Easter cream egg. So yeah, candy mm-hmm. eggs, but yeah, yeah. milk chocolate, marshmallow chicks, chocolate candy, jelly bird eggs. Sure. Interesting. Sure, Interesting. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, Reese's. Yeah, I'm definitely butter. on that Reese's egg train. Yeah, yeah. that's Those basically the entire West Coast and some of the mid mid Midwest, like Texas, and then it's all very mixed up as you go further east. Interesting, interesting. That's funny, but those Starburst jelly beans—they are amazing. I had some this year, and I usually don't like jelly beans. I feel like when we were kids, the the jelly bean options were very limited. They were just right. like, this one tastes like black licorice, and this one tastes like, you know old strawberry preserves that mm-hmm. were stuck in the basement for 30 years or something. I don't know. Say so we, we, got, there wasn't, there wasn't great options. We, we ended up with like this big bowl. The kids did their Easter egg hunt and they, you know, they each got some and then we put them all into one bowl so they can share them out. And, and mm-hmm. then we went to like Ray's family and did another egg hunt there. And we went to my family and we got more chocolate there. And so we've got like all of this chocolate. There you and go. Oh yeah. The, the only the only reason I know that Easter is coming is because it's time to throw out all of the chocolate left over from last Easter. We just don't get through it. Like we we might eat it for a oh, week or two, hilarious. and then we kind of just forget sure. about it. But we've got like eight mm-hmm. chocolate yeah. bunnies and all of this. It's, it's a lot of chocolate. Oh, so yeah. 
Um, yeah. tell tell me tell me your stories, Twitter. Okay, Larva yeah, news listeners. So, yeah, what, yeah, let's hear them. I would love to hear their stories uh, on on Twitter. That'd be great. Yeah, no, my kids would never let me forget candy for another twelve <laughs> months. They they we told them this year because we get so tired of telling them no. And so I told my wife this year. I said, listen. If we're giving him this candy, we better be committed to letting him eat it because I'm not going to sit here and tell him no for the next three months while they yeah. beg me every single day for this candy. I was like, here's the deal this year, kids. We're giving you this candy. You get to choose when you eat it. But once it is gone, it is gone. And mm-hmm. we are not giving you any more candy. So my oldest, he I think he literally ate almost all of it the first day. I don't know how he wasn't sick as a dog, <laughs> but he ate it all. Like, I'm like, dude, whatever. It's gone. Like, I'm not going to fight with you about it. Like choose when you want to eat it. No, I'm not talking with both of you anymore. So no. <sighs> anyway, hey, folks, this is not what you came to hear, although maybe it is maybe some of it. Uh, we are going to talk about Honey Badger a little bit later. That's for sure. Thank you so much, Honey Badger, for sponsoring the show. Today also is April 10th. Wanted to give that uh, we had a suggestion to let folks know what date this is recorded. This is April 10th, 2023. Should have mentioned it maybe a little bit closer to the top of the show, but you know, we had things we were talking about. We were distracted. So <laughs> we've got a little bit, I'm not going to say shorter show because every time I say that it ends up being long, but we've got a few less items than we would normally have on the docket today, but we can still make a plenty uh, of show time out of it. So let's go ahead and get started with releases. We've got Laravel 10.5. Uh, which was released on March. No, it would have been on the 28th, I think. But we put the post out the the, uh, 31st. So here we go. It's including a case-sensitive flag for stringable replace, support for passing empty columns to the database builder, uh, insert using method, and a new database connection called select result sets. Additionally, it also includes bug fixes and changes, such as improvements to the handling of empty arrays and multi-key operations for DynamoDB storage and removal of duplicate constraints in relationships via the one method. So let's start with Martin Pau contributed this case-sensitive flag to string replacements. So if you wanted to uh, previously, uh, you could do string of, and then you pass in the string that you're wanting to create a stringable out of, and then you could chain on the replace method. And previously, uh, if you would have passed in whatever, either uppercase or lowercase, it would do a case insensitive comparison. Wouldn't care. Doesn't matter. It'll replace. If you had a lowercase x in the stringable, it would replace it with, with, you know, and you had in your replace statement an uppercase x. Didn't matter. Wouldn't care. It would just do it anyway. And then there was a way where you could do, instead of creating a stringable of, so instead of saying string of, you could just also sort of shortcut that process and just say string replace. So, and when I say string, I'm saying str, like the string helper. So str colon colon replace. And so in that case, again, case insensitive, doesn't matter. However, now it has a default case sensitivity. Uh, so it will not replace a value uh, that it does not match uh, both by content and by case. So string replace now uh, will allow you to, uh, by default, it has the true flag set to be case sensitive, but you can pass in a false if you cared for it to be case insensitive. So just a little bit of a change there. I probably spent way too long on that, but there you have it. Uh, let's see. We've also got insert using. So Johnny not added a database, uh, added database support for passing empty columns or a star to insert all columns from the source to the destination. So this uses um, insert using. So you can say, take a value, take table one, and then you should insert those values uh, using 
And then you can just pass an empty array, which means basically take all of the values that are in table one, and then you can go insert them into table two. So you could just basically say you're copying table one over to table two, but you're using this insert uh, using statement in order to do that. So now you can pass that in there and Bob's your uncle. Is that how they use that? Is that how you use that phrase? Yeah. Did I say it right? You did. Bob's your Boom. uncle. Bob's your, Bob's your uncle. Okay. Uh, Istvan Pel Pelinkas contributed a database connection method, which runs a select statement against the database and returns all of the result sets. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. Hmm. Hmm. I suppose this is allowing you to call a function that is defined within your, you know, within MySQL. Mm, okay. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think you might be right, but tell me about this. Stored procedures, basically, right? So you can define some procedure. This this usually, I've, I've never seen this in, well, I've never personally seen this in, in a Laravel application, but there are scenarios where you might have a bigger team where you've got separate systems people or separate DBAs that would create or might have existing stored procedures within MySQL that do something. Right, and you don't have to worry about how that's derived or where it's done or what table joins happen. You just get mm -hmm. given a a stored procedure that you can call. You might have to pass it and some it optional says, parameters. Will, yeah, they'll take care of handling all the values. Right, they'll mm -hmm. just you just call the function and it just says like, oh, it's stored in the database over there. I don't really care. Just give me back what I think I should get. Yep, and so this allows you to return you an array of parameters and notifications from a result set. Interesting. And it, and then it allows you to essentially pass in uh, using the query placeholders. So you've got call, get, mm -hmm. underscore, user, underscore, params, and notifications, question mark. And then as a second parameter, you pass auth ID, and that'll off that'll go and call that stored procedure and then return you all the result sets. Yeah, how it's like, it uses those prepared statements, right? Wherever you have a question mark, it'll just, it's almost like, what is that? Uh, uh, sprintf, mm -hmm. right? That's printf. Uh, where you you know wherever you have a question mark, it'll insert a the argument in order of the way that in, in order in which they're they're listed in the yep. less in the in the uh, method there yeah, and then they're destructuring it into two pieces here user params and user notifications so it's hmm, mm -hmm. interesting too so cool yep. stored procedures okay stored procedures. there we have it folks uh, so release notes can be found on GitHub. If you want to see the full list and you want to see all the pull requests that were closed in order to give you these features. So there we have it. There we go. Level 10.5. Um, next up, Christoph Rumpel has a new and excellent guide called Everything You Can Test in Your Laravel Application, which provides you with examples of scenarios you'll likely need to test in your real applications. All of the examples are written using the PEST testing framework, which we've spoken about on a few occasions now. That the testing concepts themselves apply to all testing frameworks. And in PHP, really, these days, it's either PEST or PHP unit. There's other things like BHAT, and um, there's another one that I can't remember off the top of my head, but they're not particularly common these days. Chris, uh, Christoph also published a repository on GitHub, which includes working examples of everything that is found in the guide. And don't forget, um, if you are new to PEST, Christoph also has a premium course called PEST Driven Laravel, which dives deep into writing applications. And with the launch of PEST 2, Laracast also added a bunch of new videos to their PEST from scratch series, which covers testing applications with PEST. So if you're getting into I've seen Nuno has been retweeting and Luke Downing has been retweeting a lot over the last couple of weeks since the launch of PEST 2, just people getting stuck into testing for the first time, using PEST for the first time, 
improving the the quality of their applications just through testing. So definitely check this out. Um, it's always it's always good to think, you know, a lot of the time when we're writing tests, we kind of stick to the happy path and the edge case. This is how edge cases slip through to production for our users to test for us. Um, so this this talks about, you know, testing response statuses and checking for text in in the responses, checking for views, et cetera. So like there's heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff in here that will help you get a good hold of the kinds of things that you can and should be testing in your Laravel applications. So I won't talk about it anymore, but check it out. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes for you. Excellent. All right. Yeah, I've been using Pest a little bit recently. It's it's pretty cool. Um, the complaint that I had about it, maybe this is solved, but like the complaint I had about it was, I think, and maybe I've voiced this before. I can't do like private methods inside of the particular class in which I want to you don't need them. do it. Hmm, you can't true. have private methods because there's no them. classes. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So you have to like you can't just you can't just shove a function at the end of the file. That's that's totally fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. But there's also there's also concepts. You know, the expectation API is one place that you can put those things. You can define helper functions and things right, like they have that. Like, yeah. They've got places for them, yeah, at like the global level. But if yep. you want something that's just available in a particular test, just create a exactly. function at the like end a of one off. Sort yeah. of. I just wanted at the very end. Yeah, that's right. That's correct, Michael. Thank you. Throw a function at the end. Call it good. That's true. Okay, good point. Onward and upward, Let's shall we? Okay, packages. Uh, all right, let's take a look at this first one. Replace raw query calls with Laravel query expressions. So the query expressions package for Laravel replaces any raw query calls that you might have in your application. So think DB double colon raw, and then you're passing in a select statement. Uh, this would be replacing any of those with expressions. So instead of writing the following example from the readme, which I'm going to not read all the way, but basically uh, suffice it to say, select raw, some day, you know, some string, blah, blah, blah. Instead, you could write something like this. Uh, user select new alias, why alias? It's an class. alias because you're selecting some coalesced value and returning a count. So count is the alias for the expression. Ah, oh, gotcha. So like when you're saying uh, select this as this, mm-hmm. gotcha. Okay, so alias, and then you have coalesce. And so basically all of the things that you would call raw, right? <laughs> all of the values that would you, you would use in raw, uh, this package attempts to replace those with actual named classes. Um, so instead of having to write the raw coalesce user admin as value, you just have to learn essentially a different syntax, uh, which allows you to replace that raw value with classes. So there's there's things like subtract or multiply or that alias that we talked about. So they've got different uh, arithmetic operators, bitwise operators, comparison, logical operators, aggregate functions, conditional values, all of that stuff. Let's think about this, Michael. What is... What is what is the big feature here? And, and you know what? Actually, as I'm looking at this, as I look at the very top expression, what it looks like is they are, in this case, saying uh, user query, when is Postgres, then use this type of raw statement. When is MySQL, use this type of raw statement. So I feel like what they're essentially doing here, and you might have been just getting ready to say this, is instead of having to write these raw statements, 
these new classes essentially will use the uh, vocabulary. What is mm -hmm. it? How, what do they call the those syntax, things? basically. Right? Is it the, yeah, the, yeah, but uh, there's different, I can't remember what the what it's called. Like in Laravel, when it actually switches, it's, it's like the... Um, yeah, it uses the relevant driver. It so it's like of, the... Sure, exactly, yeah. In, instead of using the conditionals in your code, right? Instead of doing, you know, query when is Postgres and then when is MySQL, it kind of abstracts all of that stuff away for you because there's there's slight differences in syntax. For example, in Postgres, you would use coalesce and then double quotes for your for your um, arguments there. But in MySQL, you would use backticks for those things to like quote the columns um, in, in the database. So using the raw or the query expressions package, it kind of puts all of that behind name classes. All of those are responsible for then figuring out how to transform mm -hmm. what you've called there and the arguments into whatever they need to be based on the database driver using at the time. It's probably not a huge deal if, you know, you're always using MySQL, then you probably don't need to worry about this. But if right. you're building a, a package, for example, or your, or some functionality that, that could extend across you know, between SQLite and MySQL and Postgres, like if you don't know what your application uses or the, you know, the consumers of the code are going to be using as their database driver, this kind of abstracts that all away. Um, so it's a little bit more terse, but it kind of helps to, you know, mitigate against SQL injection and things like that as well, because it's going to handle doing all of the things that need to be done, you know, to accept arguments into the, the code and using placeholders and things like that. And this is a package that Tobias Petri who he wanted to do this as a as a um, pull request into the framework, but he's doing it as a package first to make sure that all the corner mm. cases and edge cases and things like that are covered off before getting something into Laravel, which, as you'd expect for a framework, needs Good, to yeah. be quite comprehensive and cover off you know a sure. lot of the stuff. So there is some part of this kind of functionality that has been put into Laravel 10, as I understand, but this is kind of building on that with the aim, I think, Tobias's aim to later kind of get this merged in as a first-party solution. So keep an eye on it. I suppose it could sure. also be, yeah, so so like Eloquent for sure has uh, a, a ton of power, right? There's a lot of power right there in Eloquent, but sometimes you do need an eject button to kind of get mm -hmm. out of there and to be able to do some sort of raw statements. And in the case where that is necessary, this provides one more layer of abstraction so that if in the future you do have to change databases or maybe you're just switching between like MySQL and SQLite or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're running your tests in SQLite and you're running your production code in MySQL. This provides one additional layer of abstraction. So if you have to get out of Eloquent and write a raw statement, you can still accommodate multiple types of databases. Or if, for example, you don't know what type you're going to be going to, maybe maybe there's a possibility that you're going to be switching in the future. Yeah. And you want to write code that's going to be resilient to that change. You could use this as well in that case. So there's there's multiple reasons. Um, didn't make sense to me at first, but I think that I think that that's a pretty cool package. There you go. Yeah, certainly time and place. Indeed. All right, you're up, my friend. All right, the validated DTO package for Laravel for provides data transfer objects with validation and typecasting. So if you are using DTOs within your app to transfer data between systems, you will likely also want to validate incoming request data as well. And this package allows you to centralize validation for DTO objects in a very similar way to what you would with request data. So you would create your user DTO, which extends from the validated DTO parent object and then de define a protected function rules which returns an array of rules that then leverages Laravel's built-in validation functionality. 
It also allows you to create DTO instances from request objects by going user DTO colon colon from request and then passing out the entire request object. Now I've I've done this kind of stuff within the context of our application. We're actually sending data out of our application and validating on the way out to make sure that certain lenders have say lender limit um you know lending limits you can't go beyond a certain level they won't accept a loan below a certain level there's certain conditions that need to be met for specific lenders and basically by us validating those business rules before we send the DTO you know we don't have to send that request and wait for a response for rules that we know that we can kind of handle ourselves so doing the validation in line is nice and easy um, and it's certainly being able to use the existing validation functionality in Laravel means that you don't have to learn a new thing in order to accomplish this. So there's a list of features that are available currently, so you can easily integrate it with your existing project. Data validation is the same way that you do a request validation. It's easy to define custom validation messages. There's support for type properties and typecasting out of the box is provided for your DTO properties um, and it supports casting of nested data it allows you to create custom typecasters for your own needs. So it's it's a lighter weight package than something like Sparsi's Laravel data package, but it gives you the added functionality of validation, which I really like. Um, and if I had not gone and built all of this out in our scenario, I'd probably just use this um, <laughs> this package itself. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, I just sent this to one of the devs on my team with like the eyes emoji, like looking at it like, <laughs> um... Yeah. Did we know this existed before we started yeah. working on this? No. Yeah, we it's, did. it's, we it's, it's definitely useful, um, especially, as I said, if you if you if you know that there are certain things that can't be sent and you would rather kind of test for those scenarios before you send them rather than, you know, making that expensive HTTP request that, that might take 10, 15, 20 seconds, whatever, potentially. And if, if you can do the validation on your end first, you don't have to worry about that that situation and, and sort of, making those validation rules, catching those errors and and sort of preventing that from flowing out into, you know, the rest of your application. And let's face it, your code is going to have errors, even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself using a package such as the validated DTO package. And when those errors happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error uptime and check-in monitoring into a single easy-to-use platform. And they'll send you alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. And the included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues in your background job or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. So go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution, which is important, especially in these days, because self-funding means the only answer, because self-funding means the only answer to you, the developer, rather than an increasingly penny-pinching venture capital overlord. Check them out at honeybadger.io. And thank you for sponsoring. Thank you, Honey Badger. Hey, um... We've got a interesting package here for planet scale. So if you've not seen this, uh, I'm just going to mention this before we even talk about this. Planet scale hired a amazing and an amazing Laravel developer, Aaron Francis, um, not too long ago. And he created and they paid for this amazing MySQL for developers course. So if you have not yet checked that out, you should definitely do so. It's free. It's available online right now. Um, and so if you don't 
have your name on the email list for that. You should do that first before you do anything else. But secondly, PlanetScale, there's this community package for uh, PlanetScale, which adds a new command, Artisan P-Scale Migrate, which stands for PlanetScale Migrate. This is a command for your Laravel application. It helps you to manage database migrations using the PlanetScale API. Um, So this is a little bit different than the built-in Artisan Migrate command. Uh, And during deployment, you'd run the following command instead of artisan migrate you'd run php artisan p scale colon migrate so what's the deal with this what is it that's different according to the readme uh, of the package planet scale handles migrations in a different way than what you typically see with a regular database a regular database when you call migrate it's migrating the actual database that's being used in production right now it's modifying the schema of that database in real time as you're running php artisan migrate PlanetScale does not do that. PlanetScale actually has branches of your database. So you can switch between branches or roll back or things like that. And so what it does is it will go ahead and do essentially like a zero downtime deployment change to your database. And then when it's ready, it can switch it over. That's it. So if you have something, for example, like if you needed to have a computed column or something like that, that's getting added to 5 million records, and it's going to take 20 minutes to do, well, you'd normally have to schedule some downtime for your application, and then you'd have to run that migration and just cross your fingers and hope it actually finishes. But with PlanetScale, you can just say, no, just go ahead and run that right now. And it will go ahead and run that. And then once it's ready, it can switch over to the new branch. That's really interesting. uh, So let me read this here. The package uses PlanetScale's public API to automate the process of creating a new development branch connecting your app to the development branch, running your Laravel migrations on the development branch, merging that back into your production branch, and then deleting the development branch. So you can read more about that, but if it's planet scale something you are using, you'll definitely want to check this one out uh, at x7media slash Laravel dash planet scale. Did I get that right, Michael? Does that sound right? Yeah, I, I think I think just yeah. a, a couple of extra bits. Because I, I saw this pop up last week and I was talking to back and forth on Twitter with a couple you, of different yeah. people and... I think it's really cool, especially if you're doing zero downtime deployments already, where you're kind of deploying the new code, installing, you know, doing Composer install, doing all that stuff, and then switching it over at the end. If you throw this into the mix, Planet Scale, if you're using Vitesse, which is what the the technology they use under the hood, um, and, and you're managing that yourself for whatever reason, it allows you to kind of create a clone of the table that you're migrating migrate, you know, run the database migration against that clone and then swap that back into production. And what Vitesse and what PlanetScale will do for you is it will write to both tables for a period of time. Now, I think by default, Sam Lambert, the the CEO at PlanetScale said it's 30 minutes that it will do this. So for 30 minute, for this 30 minute window, it will write to both tables, Right. So you don't get any data loss. And if you do need to, for whatever reason, roll back, you can do your rollback with Envoyer. So go back to the previous release. You can do your rollback of the database knowing that you haven't lost any data, right? Because you, you might have been storing like first name, last name in separate columns and then first name, or did you change it to name, right? So it's, it's writing in, in both directions. And there's you know some application level stuff that you want to be mindful of as well you know, in terms of how you're dealing with this to, to kind of mitigate against it. But 
the fact that you've got like this 30 minute window to realize that something may have gone wrong that you didn't account for through your testing or whatever, and then to just roll back with no data loss and no, you know, impact to your users is, is pretty cool. And it's like, it's just a, a sensible way of doing things at, at any kind of scale, really. So, and, and like the, the safety net of being able to go back to the old database, because I think that's kind of like a concern with just having a MySQL database that you migrate directly is that it can be destructive. You can lose data. You might, you know, not be writing to old table fields and things like that. And don't get me wrong. There are certainly ways of accounting for this by like, you know, just having your application do this for you. But having that added level of security and safety net is is just a nice thing to have. So um, definitely check it out. It's nice to have this package that kind of does it all for you where it'll, you know, create that dev development branch. It'll migrate the development branch and then swap that over for you automatically. So definitely check it out. Kudos to the X7 media team that, uh, that put this one together. Very nice. All right. Next up, we have a Pest Laravel Expectations package, which is a plugin for Pest that adds some Laravel-specific expectations to the testing ecosystem. The plugin includes different expectations across authentication, collections, database, exceptions, models, responses, storage, time, and views. So this just gives you some nice, you know, we, we talk about the, the quality of life things, the little, you know, instead of doing a cert status and then passing a magic number or having to go and import the response class and then like use the, the constants, you can go like for status, you know, to be successful or assert created or assert, you know, whatever. This kind of brings that kind of thinking to expectations specifically around all those different features. So definitely check it out if you're using PEST and if you're um, wanting to see some like nice Laravel specific things or if you haven't sort of decided that you want to use PEST yet, there are some options here for you that might get you across the line. But check it out. We'll have links to all of it and in I the think, show notes. Yeah, and I think the difference on this one too is um, you can still use all your PHP unit expectation or assertions, right, yeah. inside of PEST. So you can still say like this assert equals or whatever. But with PEST, you can wrap a item with expect so expect user and then you can chain on this to be able to or to exist right and this is that this is what this package brings you is instead of having to use the php unit assertions you can use the p the pest laravel expectations so expect yeah. this object or expect this thing to do this or whatever whatever so um it reads really nice but yeah you can i i sometimes forget that expect thing is there I'm still I'm still in the middle of it, right? So yeah. write it with past and then do my search. Yeah, just the higher order you proxy stuff is really nice. Being able to say, you know, expect dollar user. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can do, you know, you just to chain all these things on, you know, expect yeah, exactly. this and then chain yes. like property to be not, you know, all that. And then you've got the negated stuff as well. You can do like arrow not, yeah, arrow like to not be and things like be, that. Yeah, right, exactly. It just, yeah. you know, different people have different, opinions on that whether that's nicer or whatever sometimes it's nicer to look at this kind of stuff especially the expectation api and just be able to read it as as sort of like a yeah. fluent english thing to say you know expect user to have expect user arrow name to be you know jake as opposed to jacob or whatever you know being able to see that it just it reads nicer and it, any like we read code more than we write code and and you know potentially read tests more than we we write tests and so when when you do do that, it's nice to be able to to you know you don't get that 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 split second of having to kind of restructure this assert true or this assert same or whatever in your head because it just like reads as you would read a sentence. So yeah, 
opinions will vary on it. I think generally speaking, the expectation API is probably a preferable reading experience, especially for, I guess, native English speakers. Sure. Some of it's just what you're used to as well, right? I mean, it's just what you're used to. So you'll get it. If you haven't uh, messed with it, go ahead and feel free to try it out. Mm -hmm. Okay. We've got one more package here before we jump over to tutorials. So Caleb Porzio said this the other day on Twitter. He said, wouldn't it be rad if Eloquent had these? And so he's been, you know, he's, uh, I think Taylor said after that, he said spicy. Mm -hmm. And Caleb was like, oh yeah, definitely. But basically what he did, his tweet reads like this. So if you have an eloquent model called transaction, you'd say transaction, double colon, today, some amount. So essentially this today is acting as a scope to say, give me only these transactions that were created today. And he kind of went on. So he had like today, yesterday, month today, quarter today, year to date, last seven days, last 30 days, last month, last quarter, last year, all time. And these read very much like what you'd end up having on a report dropdown, right? Mm -hmm. So if you had like, these are the probable, most typical sort of report dates or timeframes that people would want reports on. And so I've had to make these a lot of times. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just to have them have these scopes already built in would be really nice. And so that tweet inspired an article uh, that was written called Laravel Eloquent Models, How to Filter by Dates Like a Pro with Traits. And that was by Maumin Alasawi. And then that inspired this date scopes package, which does exactly what Caleb was talking about. So as found in the readme, you can just add this use date scopes trait to any model that you have. And now you have all sorts, I mean, literally tons of time-based scopes so there's a couple examples here. So you have of last hour, of last six hours, of last 12 hours, of last 18, of last 24, of last hours, and then you pass in a number of hours. And they've got in the in the readme, they've got here are the different scopes you can have. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, quarters, years, decades, millenniums, and to now or to date. So everything that you could possibly want, all the different scopes that you could possibly want related to any of those uh, segments of time, they've got, it, they've got it already in there for you. So you just add that trait and you're done. And you can, there, there are some config options you can say as well. So like if you don't use the typical created at column, you could use something else uh, for the date scope uh, column. And then there also is uh, a change as far as the default range that is being used. So I think you can do, you can sort of say, I only am interested in days to months and exclude the rest of the scopes. I'm not interested in the scopes of like seconds, minutes, hour. I don't want any of those to be active. Just mm-hmm. give me these few, right? And so I think that's the that, that's what the second config option says is just let me define, you know, this stuff. So anyway, it, it looks a really cool package. Um, I'm going to star it right now, starred, and maybe use it in the future. Very cool. Very nice. All right. On to the tutorials now. Just two from the, I guess, shorter broken up week last week and this week. The first one is a tutorial. Well, actually, both of these are tutorials from Steve McDougall. The first one is talking about the Pest Architecture plugin, which, has been, which was demoed by Nuno at... Uh, Laracon India talking about, you know, saying that I expect certain classes to only be used in certain locations. You know, I don't want to see Diddy or Dump or Ray used anywhere in my code. You know, I know I, for one, have certainly pushed a Diddy or a Dive call into production before. So this 
putting this into your test will will allow you to kind of prevent that. And there are other tools that that do this kind of stuff uh, for you, you know, linting and, and checking and all that kind of stuff. Being able to do it alongside your testing in sort of a consistent manner, you know, you don't have to learn new tools, you don't have to do all this other stuff. It's kind of all baked in. So Steve goes into talking about, you know, we only want to see queries in certain places and we only want to see certain objects used or not used in certain places and goes into a bit of detail about that. So check that one out. And the last one we have here, the second one we have, uh, is another one from Steve called Let's Talk About Form Requests. And it talks talks you through some of the, the other things that you can do beyond just validation, talking about preparing input for validation, talking about what you can do after validation has passed or after authorization has failed, um, and some of the different options there and, and how you can kind of tidy things up a little bit. And even going into the scenario where you can just create, like, you may not think of this immediately because, you know, form requests are for this, but you can create whatever methods you want on there. And so when you get a validated form request passed into your controller, you can do all kinds of things that I've done in the past where I've created like a form model method on the request that will just return an array of fields that I then pass into the, the you know, a model create method and it will do that. So you go, you know, user colon colon create dollar request arrow for model. Right, and it's all done, and that handles. You know, if you need to remap, sometimes your post fields don't necessarily map one to one with your database fields. Um, sometimes you need to append some extra things in there, so it's a nice kind of approach without muddying up the responsibility of the controller. So, you know, plenty of options there, but definitely check out check out the tutorial. Um, but that is that is all that we have for this episode. Excellent. All right, episode 189. You can find show notes for this one at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 189. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Michael Dorinda at Jacobin or at Laravel News. And if you would like to, you can rate this up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be amazing. Thanks again to Honey Badger for sponsoring the show. And until next time, folks, we will see you. Bye. Bye. Bye.